You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast. www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. The New York Times had a piece uh, a couple weeks ago uh, about. The sex industry, about sex workers, about prostitution sex work and it was interesting and revealing and typical because they quoted researchers, uh, social workers, uh, scientists, pimps, the only people who weren't quoted in this article, sex workers themselves. It always seems when it comes to sex work that we can talk about it and there's a lot of talk about sex work out there Um, but we don't talk to sex workers. We talk about them. We debate them. We debate their jobs, what it is they do, why it is that they're doing it. But very rarely, even in you know the paper of record, even in the you know a, a, a serious journalistic enterprise where they always get both sides, they always go to the people that they're talking about for their comment, for their point of view, for their rebuttal. Um, when it comes to sex workers, you don't have to do that, and that sort of blind spot I think is informed by a lot of misconceptions and prejudices about sex work, which is that everyone who's doing it either is doing it against their will or is doing it against their will but doesn't realize it. So that if you go and talk to a sex worker about sex work, you're not going to get the truth. You're going to get either a blinked out distress signal from a hostage or you're going to get comments from someone who doesn't realize that they're a hostage. That just ain't true. We get a lot of questions here at the Savage Lovecast about sex work, about whether we should you know, hire a pro to be our unicorn in our three-way, whether it's legitimate for someone who uh, hasn't lost their virginity and doesn't see pussy coming his way anytime soon to lose it to somebody who's a pro. Uh, and we do go out of our way when we can to get a sex worker in here. We've had Mistress Matisse on the show, professional dominant for many years, uh, fielding questions about pro-domination and sometimes about sex work. But we decided we would pull together a little panel of sex workers because we're getting so many questions about sex work pulled together a little panel and have a special show where we threw those questions to a few sex workers and let them speak for themselves. Let them answer your questions rather than me answering your questions about them. So that's what this week's show is all about, dedicated to. We go a little long because there's four voices handling your questions. So buckle up. You've got me, Mistress Matisse, a local professional dominant here in Seattle and columnist and author and blogger and activist, Savannah Sly, local professional dominant and sex worker here in Seattle, also a sex workers' rights activist, and Delia DeLyons, a trans woman sex worker here in Seattle. They are the all-star Seattle sex worker panel, and we have brought them together to answer your questions about sex work and about sex workers. All right. Welcome back to the sex worker panel installment episode edition of the Savage Lovecast. Uh, and now let's, as Bill Maher might say, let's meet the panel. First up today, joining us, Delia DeLions. Am I pronouncing that right? Yes. So uh, tell us a little about yourself and how you got into sex work. I'm a transsexual sex worker. I started, um, I met my partner, Trixie, whose birthday it is today. Happy birthday. Sex workers, they're just like us. They have partners. Their partners have birthdays. (laughs) I met her in 2001 um, on a dating site. And this was before I transitioned, so it's kind of a long story. But um, she was already doing camming at Mm -hmm. the time and was building her own porn site. So 
I started shooting for her and doing live cam shows with her. Mm-hmm. And then we started my site, which originally was Trixie's Houseboy. I did a, um, a site as a male, and that kind of transitioned into Delia CD, which was a cross-dressing site. And then as I transitioned, the site trans- transitioned to DeliaTS.com. So, well, thank Thanks for joining. It's DeliaTS.com. Mm-hmm. Joining us also, uh, regular here on the Savage Lovecast and in uh, Savage Love for many, many years, Mistress Matisse. Hello, Dan. I know the answers to these questions, but for the sake of the panel today, how long have you been doing sex work and how did you get into it? I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you. <laughs> uh, I, I would, uh, over 10 years. Uh, I, before I was a dom, I am a professional dominatrix now. Before that, I was a dancer, not a very good dancer. Uh, I was a dancer and an escort, uh, and then I transitioned into professional dominance, where I have been doing that for, oh, many years, and uh, I feel that it is just my truest calling. But uh, I have tried pretty much every form of sex work that I could find. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a matter of fact, uh, I just, I went, over Christmas last year, in December, I went down to Australia, where sex work is legal, and I became reacquainted with the feeling of having actual like sex sex for money. It was uh, really quite a little adventure to revisit that part of my life, like, oh, wow, I'm not a dominatrix here, I'm just going to have sex for money. And so I did. That uh, was fun. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, also joining us are, are the final member of our panel, Savannah Sly. Hello, it's lovely to be here today. Thank you for joining us today. It's my total pleasure. Um, my name is Savannah Sly. I um, just had my 10-year anniversary in the sex industry. I got started a little bit before my 20th birthday and um, didn't imagine that I would become a sex worker, but I've always been fascinated by sex worker characters in films, in books. I, was, I always wanted to hear more about them than the protagonist, frankly. Um, so I just found myself after my... First year in art school, super broke on Christmas break, perusing Craigslist in the adult services section, as you do, just as a curious teenager, you know. And uh, I was kind of baffled at all these listings because I was thinking, I thought all this was illegal, but apparently not because everybody's doing it, you know. And then I saw this one ad that said sex for money is illegal, work in erotic services, which was a hiring ad for like fetish fantasy and topless massage. So I quickly got involved in a massage parlor ring in Boston which was amazing and a long story. And since then, I've really, um, like Matisse, explored the full gamut of erotic services. I've done stripping, escorting, porn, phone work, web work, um, wing girl stuff, all sorts of stuff. And I was fortunate enough to go down to Australia with Matisse and kind of check out the legal and decriminalized situations down there and go do a little brothel tour. And that was a first for me. So So coming from America where sex work is illegal uh, everywhere and terribly stigmatized, what was the difference? How did it feel different? And and, and did you detect a difference in the sex workers that you met there and how about they go about their lives or how they feel working in a decriminalized environment? Uh, Yeah, it was was oddly kind of anticlimactic for like (laughs) – hate to say it quite like that. Uh, in Sydney, especially, there were there was not really any kind of licensure issues. You just walked into the brothel and said, "Hey, can I work here?" And they kind of talked to you for a little while and said, "Yeah, okay." Uh, in Melbourne, you had to go get a uh, health card, which uh, was an amusing adventure for us. A to farce, do. but it had its good <laughs> purposes. <laughs> How is it a farce? Well, you go, and it's sort of like their government-sanctioned Planned Parenthood. It was a lovely facility. The people were really welcoming, and we were obviously not. Australian, and um, we had fake names and stuff, and they're like, that's fine, that's fine, really just 
um, just fill out the forms and go get your blood drawn and your urine test. And so I got my tests done. And then the doctor who was administering these tests was like, okay, great. So we've tested you. Um, how many health cards do you want? And I'm like, um, and he's like, how many brothels will you be working in? And I'm like, um, and he's like, I'll give you six. How's that? (laughs) And so then we got our cards with these fake names and we were able to go and work in these brothels that day. Um, but that was pre getting results. So I think that those, that's, that's the government's attempt at just monitoring the general health status of people who are coming through the doors claiming to be sex workers rather than trying to prevent people who are cleared or not cleared, you know, like, Mm -hmm. So, do you think it might give people a false sense of security who are patronizing brothels in Australia? I I don't know. I mean, do you? I'm not sure how what how sense of security the guys who come in there think they are exactly. Uh, So, yeah, I think it probably gives people who are neither patrons nor sex workers a false sense of security about how that whole thing is being done. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's my impression, anyway. But there is also a mandated um, condom policy um, for blowjobs and intercourse down there, um, which seems to be pretty strictly as enforced as you can enforce something like that. But it made me and I think a lot of the other girls feel really empowered to enforce that rule. To, to be insist. like, Yeah. I, I just felt like because it was legal and we were in a legal house where if there was an issue I could tell somebody there was some recourse, I felt like I had total control of every interaction I had. And that was pretty awesome. Okay. Well, maybe we'll circle back to Australia uh, later. Illegal sex worker decriminalization uh, as these issues come up and all the calls we have from our callers. But quickly, before we go to the calls, and we have tons, it's going to be a long show, everybody. Buckle up. Um, what, as sex workers, what are the myths that float around about you and your work and what you do that are the most destructive or harmful or incorrect? Let's start with Delia. One that I hear for trans people is that um, – it's a desperate act that there's people enter it through desperation that they um, feel like they it comes up when people talk about uh, the way trans people are oppressed in the culture. You do hear a lot about trans people engaged in survival prostitution. Right. And then there is some of that. And there's probably a higher amount of that in the trans community than there is in the regular um, general community. But um, in my case, it's not. So, yeah. But because you're a trans sex worker, sometimes that's an assumption that people mm-hmm. make. Yeah. That you could be doing nothing else and this is it. Right, exactly. The biggest myths that I see are, uh, again, there's the idea of, of people being forced into this, uh, either desperate and have no other recourse. There are a lot of myths about uh, that there's a lot of drugs involved everywhere, which is really not true. I don't think there's a higher use of drugs among sex workers than there is in the general population. Um, there's a myth that like all, all working people have a pimp, which is very rarely true. I have met a few pimps in the years that I've been a sex worker, met a very few women who had them. They are not um, omnipresent in any way, shape, or form. And it's not a cool thing when someone is being exploited for money by another person in any context, uh, just as it's not okay when, like, you know, a husband abuses his wife. It's like that's a bad relationship that should be uh, fixed. But it's just not this thing that's everywhere. Uh, uh, there's a risk that we uh, unu- have unusually high levels of STIs, uh, which has actually been scientifically demonstrated to be not true. Uh, sex workers are generally very careful people and get tested a lot, uh, and are very aware of the risks. Now, naturally, I mean, there's a there's a very there's a, a strata that is very much survival sex people, and they're they do not have access to medical care, and, and that's not good. But th- that is actually a really small number of, the, of sex workers in general. 
Those are the people we talk about, though, constantly. When sex work is discussed, it's desperation or people have been trafficked. Yeah. And trafficking is a thing. Some people are trafficked. Mm -hmm. But you would argue that we... No, the vast majority of sex workers are not trafficked. Uh, Actually, the vast majority of people who are trafficked are not trafficked for sex work. They're trafficked for labor of other kinds. Uh, but we hear a lot about this because it's just a sexy, scary problem. Ooh, little girls being taken. And, and it's like it's not little white girls being stolen from their home. It's really, unfortunately, like runaway, throwaway kids who have been kind of gotten into someone who's going to exploit them. And that's not good. Uh, and then there's you know, international trafficking, which, again, is usually for labor and not for sex. Um, and when that happens, that should be addressed. It's not cool. It's not okay. But it is by no means the largest uh, section of sex work at all. And how does that impact sex workers like you who are adults and of your own free will and business people and choosing to do this when the image that the public has is that if anybody is doing this, they must be being victimized by a pimp or being trafficked or or oppressing themselves and having a false consciousness about it. Um, yeah. It, well, it starts with the complete negation of anything that I say. No matter what I say, no, no, you're just – you have false consciousness. You don't understand what's only happening to you. So pretty much your words do not matter at all. It's only what we say about you. And that's really pretty an enraging thing. Savannah? Um, yeah, I think one of the big biggest harmful misconceptions about us is our autonomy. A lot of sex work, I mean, I've been doing this for 10 years, and I would say the vast, overwhelming majority of sex workers that I've met, men, women, trans, all different ages, um, races, socioeconomic statuses, they're autonomous, and they're doing this. Maybe it's not their favorite dream job in the world, but it's a job, and they're into it, and they volunteer to do it, and um, we consent, and... Um, the anti-trafficking movement, I feel, is gaining a lot of momentum and it is using fear tactics of little girls, not generally little boys. They don't talk about little boys or yeah, whatever. It's just generally little girls uh, getting trafficked, violated. It's a scary thing and nobody can get behind that image and everybody's against that image, obviously. Um, and so using fear tactics, it's easy to um, pass legislation that mm-hmm. is very prohibitionistic um, and generally these movements um, – are funded by and fueled by more conservative contingencies that are pretty much anti-prostitution rather than just anti-trafficking. All right, let's start taking some calls. Hi, Dan. Uh, I'm a guy in my early 40s, married for 15 years, and uh, our relationship has kind of stalled in the sex department, although we're very happy and have a wonderful family that we want to keep together. So I found myself considering in recent uh, months uh, the possibility of finding a sex worker. In a recent podcast uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago, you had a call from a sex worker who was asking for a pass on whether or not to fake orgasms. And uh, during that call, there was some kind of banter back and forth about uh, Johns who try hard and therefore you can fake the orgasm in order to make them feel better and give them that kabuki theater that they're looking for. So I guess my question for the sex worker panel is really, What's the right etiquette for a John to adopt when coming to a sex worker? Obviously, this is something I haven't done before, but if it's something I'm going to consider, I'd like to come into it with the right attitude. Uh, should a John be trying to uh, please his sex worker, even though everybody acknowledges and assumes that it's not really going to happen for her? Uh, I assume that the orgasm for the sex worker is pretty rare. But does that mean that I shouldn't even try, just pay my money and get what I want and go out the door? Or is it better for them if I'm actually making some effort, even though that then puts them in the position of having to fake or put on the show of an orgasm in order to the client what he's paying for? 
Okay, how invested in the sex worker's <laughs> pleasure should the client be? Well, you're both looking at me. <laughs> okay, I will take this one. It depends on how much of your fantasy is seeing the other, the, the, your partner have pleasure. I think that's. It, I think that it's rare for anyone to come to a sexual experience with no expectation of that. No expectation of their the person they're having the interaction with experiencing pleasure as well. Correct. Um, I think there are people who. Uh, are kind of bringing some insecurity to to the scene who let that sort of make it a little extreme and uh, you have to sort of temper their expectations that it's not going to be like a porn movie where every single time the woman is on the screen she's screaming and writhing like you know she's possessed by Satan and um, but it's I think it's possible to to want to get to want to give her pleasure to pay attention to her body and being sensual and following her cues about oh that feels nice I like that do that some more because usually sex workers will say mm-hmm. uh, and give you pointers in the right direction. Uh, How do you want to communicate it to you as a sex worker though if the client uh, wants you to come too if that's important to to, to their getting off and you're going to kabuki theater that up. <laughs> How, 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 do you, how do you learn that from well, the client in, in that interaction, in the negotiation? I, I'm just speaking as a trans woman. Um, it's a little bit harder to fake the orgasm. I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. Um, and, you know, most trans women um, are on hormones, which kind of affects your functionality. Um, so most of us who work as sex workers also – are on Viagra, so that's a little trick of the trade. Um, but but a lot of uh, men who patronize trans female sex workers, mm-hmm. uh, particularly ones who are have not had any genital alterations, right? right. They're in they're there for the dick, right? The dick right. that's attached to the woman. Yes, that makes it possible for them to like a lot of straight guys do. A lot of straight guys really love dick. That's why there's so much <laughs> goddamn dick in straight porn. <laughs> And the, the kind of miracle of like the sort of the emergence of trans sex workers as a thing in the last 15 years is straight guys suddenly have access to dick that's not attached to dude. Right. And so I imagine that a straight guy who books a trans sex worker, trans female sex worker, wants that load yeah. in that interaction, which puts a lot of pressure on you that a it cisgendered sex worker isn't mm-hmm. under to produce. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that turns on a lot of guys too, knowing that you know they can – Physically, they can see it. They can feel it. You know, they know that the work, sex worker is aroused. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Do you have to marshal your resources if you have more than one client? Uh, yeah, I, I tend to, you know, I, I try not to take more than one client a day. So, Is it possible? Cause we've had conversations in the past about whether men fake orgasms, mm-hmm. right? Is it possible for someone who is has a penis to fake an orgasm? Command performance. But, yeah, possible, but it, it's just tricky. <laughs> uh, having having done duos with uh, Delia, I, I tried to kind of set the expectations of my client and just said, no, she's, she's going to come join us and she's going to play and then whatever happens will happen and we're not going to put any pressure on her because we know how this is, right? Uh, and kind of used it as a lure. We're like, well, didn't happen this time. You'll just have to see us again sometime, <laughs> won't you? Uh, and so, hey, that's how that goes. Did you have any advice 
Yeah, well, I think this is also a provider patron specific kind of um, flavor thing. You know, it's like I know some providers who really prefer to be a little more transactional, mm-hmm. you know, and not get really heavy with you and into it and pretend, you know. And then there's some like I consider myself to be pretty engaged with my patrons and um, anybody who makes any effort to make me feel comfortable is going to get better service out of me, you know, whether that's me being more theatrical or more genuinely there with them, you know. Um but I always like to remind them if it if they turn it on to my pleasure that this is an experience that I'm facilitating for them. This is like you time, dude, you know, mm-hmm. and this is all about you and um and I'm gonna get really into you, you know. So it's also nice, um, because I do, do some power play stuff to like help make my clients feel like they don't have to be the provider of they can just kind of receive and be vulnerable. So. Mm-hmm. Have you any of you ever clicked with a client? Oh, yes. Yeah. And it was sort of hot, hot. fun, <laughs> sweet. And you've gotten off. Yes. And then you get paid and you're like, oh, fuck, <laughs> this is so good. <laughs> is that likelier to happen with a regular? Are there benefits to becoming a regular? Is a sex worker likely to reach a point with a client that they kind of have a rapport with where it becomes more like pleasurable that. sex if the person sees them more than once? Is he likely to get what he wants if he sees somebody, becomes a regular, finds that one that really works for him and patronizes her regularly? I don't I don't think it's become being a regular that, that makes him be a good sexual partner for you. Sometimes if you meet him and he is a good sexual partner with you, you will try your damnedest to make him <laughs> really induce you to come back. Uh, so I've had, I've had people over the long term that have learned my ways, shall we say, because I can be very directive uh, and very clear about what I want and don't want. But, uh, yeah, usually you kind of either click or you don't. Mm -hmm. I have to admit, it's like I I kind of equate it to regular sexual relationships. Sure, there is the money transaction component, but um, something about um, a zipless fuck, per se, you know, um, to come into your space and to, like, have this erotic one-off with you. It's like, that's kinky, you know, like, it's hot, you know, and then they leave and you're like, phew, that was awesome. I might not ever see them again, you know, or maybe I will in a year. You never know when they're going to call you up. I mean, every once in a while, those do pop up and it it is part of what makes work fun for me. Have all of you come with clients? Yeah. 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 All right. Not every single time, but yeah, yeah it happens time. totally. Oh, totally. Well, I could say the same about my husband. <laughs> Come with him, oh, but not every single time. <laughs> yeah, it's just like it's sex. It's like all the same rhythms that happen with regular sexual relationships also occur within sex work, but there is this transactional nature which alters things a little bit. Yeah. But I not could, completely. I could say the same about my husband. Exactly. <laughs> I have had times where the client hasn't come, though. I mean, that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so. always a bummer. Yeah, is it a bummer? Is yeah. it is it always nerves? Are they always a little disappointed? What is? Wh- how did you handle that in the moment, Delia, when that happened? You know, usually they're okay with it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like, I appreciate the effort, and it's just not going to happen. You know, because a lot of times I'll get older clients. You know, so. Yeah, certain medications, um, mm-hmm. older clients. It's, but it, 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 what it shows to me is that it's not just about the money for me. Uh, if I have a client and I really just like blow the doors off and he doesn't have an orgasm, I always feel like, damn, that's like, you know. But when, when he does, he's like, you know, his eyes roll back in his head and he's like, sees God. And I'm just like, yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, I feel good now. Hi, Dan. We are an early 30s couple with a vacation coming up. After reading your book, my wife started looking at escorts online. We found one that seems to be amazing. She has great reviews, great photos. She seems to be worth the price of entry. Um, We've had threesomes in the past, but never with a professional. 
and my wife's biggest fear is that it's going to be awkward. I don't think the sex, but I think the time from when she enters our hotel room until we are having sex, I think my wife fears that. My fear is that my wife won't like it, and then we'll be back to trying to find women to have threesomes with, which, as we get older, gets more and more impossible. So I guess what I'm looking for is any advice on how to have a great experience with a professional from your professionals. Well, before we get to the specifics of his question, this uh, all the time, every day, tons of questions, finding the unicorn, finding the unicorn, finding the unicorn, which uh, for those of you who are just listening to the Seppish Lovecast for the first time, is a straight couple seeking the bi female third. And they're so rare, they call them unicorns. And my advice is often hire a unicorn, hire a unicorn, hire a unicorn. And how have you unicorned? Have you unicorned? Have you oh, unicorned? Yeah. Never, yet to unicorn. <gasps> you are a unicorn. Yeah, she's a beautiful unicorn. Uh, you are a beautiful unicorn, but have you unicorned? Uh, have no, you been the not third? Professionally, no. Yes, and it was awesome. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say that you've actually unicorned with me, yeah, but that's, that's, that's right. a slightly yeah, different question. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I myself have unicorns. So it's a viable option to hire the unicorn. Absolutely. And it seems like their only hang-up is awkwardness in As that moment. threesomes aren't awkward right. anyways. Exactly what I was going to say. As if sex ain't awkward. As if when you pick somebody up in a bar and you go home, and that moment you first enter the room and you're kind of standing around the venue, isn't awkward. If you hire a gregarious, warm professional who wants you both to have a rocking time and really has her focus on you two and your amazing experience, um, then you're going to have a great time because she will facilitate you through that awkwardness if she has the skills to do that, you know, which and you know, a lot of escorts. Yeah, I mean, a lot of escorts have been in sexual with two people at one time before, maybe even more than you have. So she will have a sense of like, okay, so you've called me here to be with you for two hours. I have a very clear sense of like, and boom, and now we're going to boom, and then we're going to boom. And I, you know, I will step you through all of the things that I know you want to do because I've done this before. And uh, I think it, you will usually get a very polished and uh, well-presented experience that you should just enjoy, like a beautifully cooked meal. And she'll participate in it with you, obviously. Um, but who but, takes the lead in that moment? The couple in the room to set the tone and get things rolling or the escort? I find generally the sex worker takes control of most situations to guide the patron or client through the experience. You know, and it might not feel like that a really good sex worker will, again, like a GFE sex worker will make it seem natural and seamless and it won't feel like boom, 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 even though in her head she's like tick, 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 you know, like we're going through these milestones. Um, but a, a good sex worker will just lead you through, yeah. We keep talking that. about hire a good sex worker, hire a good sex worker. How do you know someone is a good sex worker? How do you know you're hiring a good one versus an average or a below average sex worker? A lot of personal taste in that one. You know, it depends on what you like in your experience. Mm -hmm. There are review boards out there too. You can, you know, check. What are the sites that you would recommend where people look? Every city has a bunch of review boards. Um, You kind of need to start doing a little digging depending on the city that you're in. And um, different review boards will have different, calibers of conversation exchanged Can you trust the reviews if you go to if you find a city's review boards are there people being shitty to each other on these review boards i'm not really big on review culture i think it puts pressure on girls to like kind of perform or play favorites or something and a review culture has always been a little weird to me but that said reviews can be really helpful if you're trying to like yeah pick a sex worker out of the 
I mean, it, it's like mm-hmm. Yelp. You know, it's like you have yeah. some information or an Amazon review. You have to consider that this is not, you know, like vetted information. It's one person's opinion. And people say crazy things on the web that are sometimes accurate and sometimes not. If someone has 20 really great reviews, that's usually a bleak sign. If she has like three that are great and three that are awful, you kind of got to go, mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I would say go go look at her. Does her website look really professional? Does she speak, meaning write, uh, in a professional sense? Uh, do you kind of have a feeling that you would click with her based on what she said? A lot of sex workers have a fair amount of social media out there now because they understand that people are kind of trying to make a connection with someone before they contact. So it's common for them to have a lot of information out so there. So it's possible now to establish that rapport before that moment you're all standing around the bed in the hotel room on your vacation. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, women who go to a lot of trouble with this are generally going to be higher priced. Uh, so don't don't cheap out is my kind of opinion. Like don't don't look for the lowest figure because you tend to get what you pay for. Hi. I was wondering if any of the uh, sex workers or advocates or whatever have ever encountered someone that looked like they physically had, you know, an STD or something was not right. And if so, how do you handle that? So have any of you ever encountered that where someone's come over, they're a client, and they're clearly there's a syphilitic sore or a gaping gunshot wound? Not exactly to that extent. Um, I encourage people when they inquire to me, I have an inquiry form and I'm like, are there any landmarks or points of notice on your body that I should know about that I would ask you about once I got you undressed? You know, like, let's get this out of the way now. Parasitic twins, extra or, limbs. you know, fistulas or skin disorders, thing, eczema, stuff like that, you know. Um, but I did have one instance. I've never run blatantly into somebody who seemed to like have a, a definitely an STD going on, you know, or SDI. Um and you do a check. <laughs> you generally look and check. Um, but I did have one gentleman who had something I'd never seen before that really freaked me out. I forget what it's called, but it looks like um, the ridge of a triceratops's <gasps> crown, and it's all around the corona of uh, the penis. Yes. And I'd never seen that before, and it was very pronounced. And um, we were doing puppy play, and he was naked, and the puppy wanted to jump on me, and I wasn't wearing very much, and the puppy's jumping on me, and there's this, you know, cock on my thigh, you know, and I'm like, I'm not sure about this, so I actually called a timeout, and I'm like, I'm really sorry, but I don't recognize this. Could we talk about it? And he had no idea what I was talking about. Nobody had ever pointed out to him that it was anything unusual, you know, and um, it was kind of an awkward scene, but it's the only time I've ever had to do that, and then I went and Wikipedia'd it afterwards, and... I felt bad for deflating a scene, but I, I I had to know, you know, so. Yeah, when I um, when I was fairly young, I went and worked in the brothels in Nevada uh, for a little while, and there they teach you how to do an official dick check, a DC. So you have, there's a whole little steps, and you have to, like, look at it, and you, and you squeeze it to see if anything, like, weird comes out. So I don't, because I'm a dominatrix and I don't do penetrative work, um, I don't, like do that every single time before the scene starts, but occasionally you kind of are like, mm, you know, you kind of, uh, and because of the nature of my work, I can kind of work around things. And, I, and I, usually at the end of the scene, I will say, you know, there's a, have you noticed it? Oh, yeah, no, that's a birthmark. It's always been there. And you're like, uh, okay. Um, so, yeah, it's a little, it's a little delicate, that sort of thing. Those uh, penile spines are called hirsutes coronii glandus. Yeah. 
Uh, and they're harmless, and mm-hmm. they may be vestigial. They may be. Uh, there's a lot of animals in the animal kingdom that have spined penises. Yeah. Um, and humans, uh, our ancestors may have been among them. Um, but I got letters from guys who are really freaked out. Who've yeah, it's good to know now, and I felt bad, but I wasn't sure. It was. It is delicate, and it's hard to be like. Now I have a better. I actually practiced how I would bring that up in the future in a more delicate way, you know. But in this, I was just like, I'm sorry, but I. What, can What's we talk up with about? this? I'm like, can we talk about this real quick before we go on? And then he was like, boner deflated for the rest of the hour. Oh. I'm, like, I'm so sorry. And so, um, but it was it is important, I think, yeah. for a sex worker to advocate for her own comfort and safety in the moment, even mm-hmm. at the risk of deflating his boner. Yeah, and I mean, in the future, if he does see a sex worker, then he'll know maybe like that. I don't know, that they might ask or something, you know, because it's it's not to send her the link to the Wikipedia page first. Yeah, <laughs> you could just say, "I had this thing. It's not a dangerous. Thing. It's not it's dangerous. Not a FBI. Yeah. Uh, and she'd be like, "Okay, great. Fine. Yeah, good to know." Mm-hmm. Hey, I've got two questions for the upcoming uh, sex worker podcast. The first one is about tipping. Um, so before you see a sex worker, you do all this effort and energy about coming up with fee rates and like talking it all out. But then is it expected that we're supposed to tip above and beyond that rate? I mean, I'm sure it's desired, but is that kind of expected? Is that what's the appropriate protocol for that? And the second question has to do with talking about sex work with a sex worker. I find the whole thing really fascinating, and I'm wondering if it's annoying or inappropriate to ask questions about the trade before, during, or after the session. Time wasters. <laughs> like you, we were just saying earlier, like establish a rapport that through social media you can actually interact with a, a sex worker thinking about hiring. But there are a lot of people out there who just want to jack off during negotiations and never make an appointment, never – come through so people talking to you clients who want to talk to you about sex work is there a time for that and is it immediately after an appointment or when yes it's when they're paying me 100 dollars an hour for my social time and we go and have coffee and they can ask me anything they want yeah yeah i mean if you're paying me for my time and any then you can you can ask me anything you want i mean i i kind of roll my eyes sometimes at some of these things because let me say if you if you were going to ask the questions, I want you to be willing to hear the answers and not kind of have the answer that you think already is true in your head. And when I say to you, I've never had a PIM, believe that. No, well, come on, not me busted. I'm like, no, I really have never had a PIM. You've really had people say to you when you said you've never had a PIM, yeah. they've argued with you and insisted well, you must have had a PIM. Yeah, now, I mean, I know you always girls say that, but you know, I mean, surely you must have. I'm like, wow, you're really invested in this idea of me as a victim, and I'm telling you that I'm not, and you just don't want to let go of your fantasy. But that is the stereotype, that there's no entry point to sex work except the force or coercion force, or desperation. Coercion, yeah. victimization. It's it, like there's the, never a free choice. That that is the stereotype. And there's there's a lot of guys around, especially who want to be like white knights, who want to rescue you in some way, who are really wedded to you as his victim. And it is one of the nice things about being out of one's twenties, shall we say, as a sex worker, where you start to get that less. Uh, when I was very young and I looked younger than I was, uh, I got a lot of questions. Now, honey, are you sure nobody's hurting you? I know. No, really, tell me. I want. You. I'm like, no, I'm fine, and I'm 22. And <laughs> why are you pestering me? Uh, I don't. So yeah, I don't mind people asking questions if you're paying me, uh, but listen to the answers. Yeah, I usually suggest people catch me on cam and buy a cam show with me. If they want to ask all these questions. That, that's being written about a lot these days is the kind of new sex work and mm-hmm. safer sex work for a lot of people because you're in absolute control. There's nobody in the room with you that you didn't choose to put in the room with you. 
And it is there's a dialogue in a lot of cam. That's where most of my experience is in cam. So, yeah. And you get a lot of questions when you're doing cam work that are um, sort of biz questions as opposed to dirty chat? I've had, you know, full sessions with people who just want to talk. You know, they just want to talk. They're interested in transsexuals. They want to know, you know, more about me as a person. Um, you know, they want to feel that closeness. Is that comforting when you're with a client who wants to know more about you as a person? Uh, you know, I've had sex it, worker pals in the past. A person, I think. You know, if they're kind of creepy, then it's like, mm, you know, don't feel comfortable with this, you know, and – at that point, I usually say it. You know, I don't. You know, I don't feel comfortable with this line of questioning, and it ends. So it sort yeah. of depends on. Yeah, they're asking you like where you live and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Your social security number. Yeah. And- but like, what kind of movies do you like, and what kind yeah. of music you like? Okay, What's let's your get favorite to- ice cream. Yeah, yeah, let's get to know each other. Sure. I um actually just got done having coffee with a client this morning, and he was asking me a lot of sex worker questions, you know, because he was just generally interested. And I feel like maybe it's because I'm very out and I talk about sex worker rights stuff on my Twitter feed a lot. Um, I am getting a certain type of patron who is interested, and I think they see it as a reflection of their own sexual rights, you know. I think that there's a lot of a lot of my clients have read Sex at Dawn and they're kind of like their minds are blown and they don't feel like bad people anymore for having these desires. And so they kind of want to talk to somebody who is living a lifestyle that is more open and uh, sexually liberal. Um, so in those senses, I will talk for hours with clients about sex work and sexuality because I feel like it's enriching our connection. It's educating and helping them on like a therapeutic level and it's making me feel really good about what I do. So um, – yeah, especially if you're paying me for coffee, I will talk to you. Erasing the stigma and misconceptions one person at a time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I what person, better person to start with than a, somebody, than a, than, than a John, than a client? Yeah. Is John an offensive term? Do I don't people, use I, it. I would, I would never say John. You would say client? Client. Client. Yeah. I like patron. <laughs> it's my art form. <laughs> so let's talk about tipping. That was what he uh, called about, what he really was curious about. What sort of tipping do you expect or do you not expect to be tipped? Or is tipping always welcome? Tipping is always We're welcome. Uh, Never expected, but always right. welcome. Yes. Sometimes I expect one. <laughs> I just knocked myself out for you. Like if, if we've gone 20 minutes over the hour and I'm just in a puddle of sweat and I, I've emptied the toy cabinet and I'm just like, I have brought it, brother. And your eyes have rolled back in your head and you've seen God. I expect a tip. I do. Uh, it's not that I won't see you again if you don't, but if you don't, I'm going to file that away and I think of like, yeah, wow, well, this guy's a lot of work and did not really show me much love afterwards. Right. Uh, that's, that's a true fact. Is there a percentage? Um, I, I don't really count. I mean, if you're going to spend four hundred dollars or you know something like that on a, an experience, then you know fifty bucks is not an inconsiderable amount to tip. Uh, I mean, I I would not sneer at any amount. If someone leaves you five dollars, you're kind of like, okay, why? Yeah, but um, we are ladies of luxury. You know, it's a really high price to pay for a lot of people to pay. Two to six hundred dollars an hour for a, a one-off experience, and so I have guys who do save up literally in a piggy bank to see me, and then they see me, and if I'm aware that they are a dishwasher at some hotel somewhere in suburban wherever, um, I, I might go the extra mile for them because you I might think, tip them. Well, I, yeah, I kind of tip them with experience, and then I have had a couple of these guys leave and come back and knock, and this has happened with two or three guys where they're like. That was really awesome, and they give me three or five dollars, you know, and I'm like, thank you, because to you, 
that is a tip, mm-hmm. you know, like, and that's a bit, it's all reflective of where you're at, I think, you know, and um, if somebody's just trying to show gratitude, and that's their effort, and that's what they can do. Great, you know. You are such a nice person. I'm you? such a nice. Person. <laughs> I think if you really want to be remembered as a client, then tipping is a very, you know, good way to, to go about that. I think sometimes the awkwardness uh, for folks around uh, tipping a sex worker is this sense of like, well, your lawyer is two hundred bucks an hour, and you don't tip your lawyer. That the, you know, you tip mm-hmm. the waiter at the restaurant. You tip, don't tip the restaurant owner. And in a way, you guys are both the restaurant owner and the waiter at the same time. You are the the house and the service provider. And so I think that sometimes makes people feel awkward about like what's the right amount or whether tipping is expected at all. Yeah, I think uh, kind of like what Matisse said, if you're if you're going overtime and you have emptied the toy box and you've pulled out all the stops and you've like really, really worked above and beyond. If anybody works above and beyond for me in any service arena, I'm going to try and show gratitude for that with tipping, you know. Um, that said, this is my price per hour. These are the services I render within that. If you pay that price, I'm going to give you access to these services, you know, yeah. and I am not upset if people don't tip me um, unless but, I feel like I've really gone yeah. above and beyond, you know. Um, so have yeah. you ever gotten a gratuity in some form besides a cash tip? What's oh, yeah. the craziest thank you you ever got? Oh, well, we've gotten lots of wacky <laughs> gifts over the years. Oh, my God. And fabulous gifts. Fabulous, um, yes. Yeah, I um, actually was just talking to somebody from CNET who's doing an article about financial domination and Amazon wish lists. So I was actually getting to go over and think about all the gifts I have received throughout the years. And um, especially as a dominatrix who plays with fetish and power and opulence, you know, um, there's been a lot of gifts. And it was cool to go through and think about them all. And um, some of them are very modest but very personal. And some of them are very impersonal but very extravagant, you know. <laughs> well, so, we got to have an example then. Oh, I'm trying to think of a, a new one. car. I haven't ever done a new car, but certainly women have. You know, um, I had um, a, a, a wonderful patron who um, I am really just so pleased to have in my life and in my practice. Um, just got me um, a camera I'd had my eye on for a long time, which is not a small price tag, and um, and it's not something he's going to directly benefit from. I am going to try and make him like a kinky video <laughs> from it, you know. <laughs> um, but it was just he knew that I really wanted it. And um, and he was just really sweet, and it was around the holidays, and he got it for me because he just knew that it would make me so happy, you know, and I was just really appreciative of Does that. Does that kind of gesture make the relationship feel more or less transactional? It was clearly thoughtful. You guys have a rapport. He knows you. He knew that that was something that you would enjoy or appreciate, and he got it for you. In, in that moment with the, when that was given to you, did that feel like an additional fee, or did that feel like a gift from a friend? You know, it doesn't feel like there are any expectations after that. I feel that this person in particular gives gifts because he likes to make um, me and whoever else he sees happy. Um, I, it, it, it's, it's the kind of obligation that I feel to any friend or um, family member who does something nice for me is I want to do something nice back for them, you know, so I'm going to try and make them a video. Um, I give him priority booking, you know. I, I give him a wonderful experience, you know. Um, I, I gave him a freebie for his birthday, you know. Like, this one's on the house, <laughs> you know. Um, so, yeah, it's like the, the transactional aspect of it. it gets a little blurry sometimes, but with certain people, that's okay, you know. Yeah, I mean, I've gotten I have gotten amazing, crazy, generous, beautiful gifts and clothes and shoes and jewelry and, um, like, my kitchen remodeled and I mean a lot of things that made my life better that really didn't benefit them in any way amazingly generous uh, people in my life and I'm really intensely grateful to them all 
uh, people give me professional services, that they're professional services that I needed. I'm like, oh, this is great, and I don't have to lie to you, and I can, you know. Uh, so I've gotten that level of things. And then, yeah, there are the little kind of weird and wacky things, like the guy who was a taxidermist who brought me a bunch of cleaned animal skulls. Uh, a whole bunch. Sweet. Um, yeah, and I, I, like horned animals, and they were kind of, I was doing a lot of photography then, and he thought, he said, like, he thought you'd like to photograph them. And I'm like, he's kind of right, and I kind of do. It's still a little weird to be given animal skulls, but okay. I can tell that he meant it in a good way, and so I took them, and I took some pictures of them, and I'm just like, well, okay, that was unusual. Delia, weirdest thing you've ever gotten? Um, well, the I got two really great gifts, um, and this is from a guy who wasn't a client. Uh, I never met him physically, but he saw me online and had followed me for a while and caught me through my blog, and um, he actually paid for my boob job. So, oh, awesome. Yeah. And they look great. Thank yes. you. Yes. Mm. They do. Even I would vouch for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty amazing. You know, he just like wrote to me and was like... I, you know, I've seen your galleries. You brought me so much joy in my life. You know, I just came into this money, and you know, I want to blow it on you. Wow! So like, wow. There's some amazing people in the yeah, world. Yeah, totally. Tom, he's a great guy. There are gifts that can be um, kind of really sweetly self-serving gifts. <laughs> you know, like so. If you're seeing a dominatrix, there's a lot of bells and whistles that go with pro domination. A lot of equipment, a lot of outfits, and it's an investment to really get going as a pro dom. Um, and so I've had a number of clients who are like, oh, you know, just because out of the kindness of my heart, I'm going to get you this really sexy urethral sounding kit, you know, and um, <laughs> dot, 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 um, <laughs> when can I see you? Tell me when you get it, you know, and it's like, sweet, a new asset that I got for free. And this is what we're going to do in our next session. It's so. a win-win. Mm, it's a total win-win. So when, you know, we talk about the stereotypes and misconceptions about sex work, what you often hear is that like this relationship between uh, the sex worker and the client is is only transactional that it's kind of dehumanizing that there's no human connection or interaction that there's no affection at all and when i hear you talk about the guy who paid for your boob job i hear you talk about uh the, the man who gave you the camera people who've done professional work for you it sounds your voices drip with affection and appreciation mm -hmm. that these relationships aren't minefields and nightmares Oh no, yeah. I mean, I've I've had guys that I've been seeing for ten and fifteen years, and I love these guys, and they love me, and they know me really well. I mean, these are relationships that I've had longer than I've had my boyfriend. Uh, and they know, like, they all know my family stuff. It's like we don't. I try to keep that to a minimum, but they want to know me, and they do, and and they're good guys, and I love them, and they love me, and it's it's a relationship in a bubble. It's you know, it's bounded intimacy, but within that bubble. Yeah, they they care about me a great deal, and they say so. They tell me all the time, "I love you," and and it's just very yeah. Hi, I live in a country where prostitution is illegal, and I would like to know how can I be a sex worker ally because I I do visit prostitutes, and if I were out about being a sex worker client, then that would probably mean the end of my career and the end of my marriage. So how do I be a sex worker ally uh, without being out as a client? My number is, no, never mind. So we can't call him and tell him how he can be a good ally. So hopefully he's listening. I hope so. This is a great question because I have been working with Swap Seattle a lot lately. And we have a rally we're organizing tomorrow. And we're doing a lot of um, kind of public 
outreach initiatives. How, Tell us what SWAP is, what it stands for, where the oh, website sure. is, and uh, yeah, what the mission is. SWAP Seattle, um, SWAP stands for the Sex Worker Outreach Project, and we're the Seattle chapter. There is SWAP USA, and there's chapters in a lot of major cities around the country. And they're all volunteer-based. They're generally um, fueled by sex workers who do a lot of the work, but we do have allies. And um, to be a good ally... Um, you can just show support uh, emotionally. Like let's say you do solicit sex workers and see sex workers just being like, hey, thank you for providing your service. I support what you do. You know, and it's too bad that this is so underground. Just little things like that, you know, help make, you know, we're in an underground industry and it makes us feel more human. Um, in, like Swap is reaching out to allies who would be open to um, coming and helping, handing out flyers and materials, you know, at a rally. They don't necessarily have to say, I'm a sex worker, but I do support these human rights initiatives. It's just like a human rights initiative. Like if you're a gay straight alliance ally, you know, it's like you want to be like, um, yes, I believe that these people deserve all the equal rights that everybody else does. That's how you can be an ally. Um, you can go online, you can sign petitions, you can show support just like you would with any other cause, kind of. Would it behoove uh, clients and guys who uh, – patrons to kick some money in for these organizations oh, every once yes. in a while? Give us yeah. your money. Yeah. <laughs> we'll print so many flyers. Uh, yeah, because it's – you know, especially now, the, the, sh- the shift of the legal uh, situation in the U.S. is very much tilting toward this quote-unquote end demand. Uh, end demand. Yeah. So go after the clients. Right. Uh, which I don't think is ever really going to be uh, – even now, the, the proportion of people who are arrested is vastly the sex workers and very rarely the clients. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that's really going to change dramatically no matter how many slogans they use. But uh, the, the client should be aware that, yeah, this will benefit you too, uh, this, any kind of pushback that we can offer to – Increased uh, uh, prostitution laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's it's you can be an ally and help save your own ass in your daily life. If you if if social work comes up, uh, just to say things like I don't. I think if people are consenting, then no one should be arrested for something that they do privately. Uh, that's a statement that you can make that doesn't implicate you. Uh, just to say that yeah, no, I think if if everyone's a consenting adult and no one's being harmed. What businesses is anybody else? In the abortion debate, we always talk about one in three American women have had abortions. And if all of those women were out to their friends and families and congressmen and state representatives about their uh, abortions, uh, the assault on this right would stop. Would it help if more people who were clients were out? If it's, I mean, again, like what our caller just suggested is it would be a real threat to his lifestyle that he's built for himself. I think it's really hard for people to come out as sex workers or as clients of sex workers. People who can do it, yeah, go for it. Be out and loud and proud, you know, like some sex workers are, you know, like us who are here today talking to you. For those who can't be, um, what I just thought of was an instance on Twitter where you can be anonymous, you can have your little Twitter avatar and you can follow your favorite sex workers and you can uh, spread awareness by retweeting articles, retweeting news headlines, um, retweeting hashtags. One that I saw the other day that really warmed my heart was um, real men support sex workers, um, which comes from this YouTube campaign, which is um, anti-trafficking, which is um, real men don't buy girls. Um, Ashton Kutcher. Ashton Kutcher. Um, kind of is behind that and it's like all these like spoofy videos of men being boneheads but they don't buy women you know um so um 
So when that propaganda is floating around to whether you have to have an avatar or not, just spreading other voices is hugely helpful because we just need to populate the web with this information. Yeah. Is there a closet that's particular to your client base? Um, Men who I, are attracted to trans women? I think maybe not so much as a you know uh, sex worker, but even just men who are attracted to trans women, you know, there's a stigma attached to that, obviously. And I think um, a lot of guys are shy about talking about that or expressing that to other people. And, and I think a lot of that's their own insecurity with their own sexuality. Um, Do you get guys melting down? Sometimes, you know, I remember when I was young and gay and out, I sometimes lived with closeted guys or guys who just weren't reconciled to their sexuality. And mm-hmm. they would sometimes, after that orgasm, have the meltdown. Have you had that I've experience with guys have, who weren't reconciled to their I've attraction to you? I have that Good. Um, experience, but um, definitely that's probably the most common question that I get asked when I'm on cam or – um, online, you know, emailing people. Um, what is what I is the most common forum in forums? Um, I'm attracted to transsexual women. Does that mean I'm gay? <laughs> it's like no. I I'm not going to define your sexuality for you. You know, that's up to you. You know, but yeah. I had uh, Kate Pornstein once answer that question in my column, and she said it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't mean you're gay, but it means you're something more than straight. Yeah. Something straight. <laughs> in addition to your straightness, there's this. Th- mm-hmm. There's more to your straightness than mm-hmm. other folks' straightness. And I think you know, the majority of my fans are consider themselves to be straight men. It seems to me that observing sort of the emergence of self-identified trans women escorts, it really put it out there in the culture that there are men attracted to trans women. And they exist, and and it's a real thing. Do trans women who aren't escorts owe a debt of gratitude to trans women who are? Because it really was, in a way, trans escorts who put that on the map. I think um, the pornography industry and adult industry in general has done a lot to um, put trans women out there and uh, raise awareness of trans women. Um, and I think, you know, in some ways that's. Uh, a good thing in some ways it's not so good you know i think there's a there are definitely a lot of people who just fetishize um trans women and um that's kind of the downside of it Mm -hmm. yeah um i've heard um and and seen just talking to people i know who are uh trans women who aren't necessarily sex workers who are, who were, um, that there is a general fetishization of trans women as sexual creatures, you know, or especially as sex workers. Um, there's uh, something going on in Arizona right now. Um, a woman named Monica Jones, a trans woman, is um, going on trial because she's got swept up in this whole weird like brainwashing thing called Project Rose, which has been in operation since 2011, and it's where cops and um, anti-prostitution Catholic groups and some um, state prosecutors all get together, and they cruise around the streets, and they grab anybody who looks like a sex worker, and they bring them to the church, and they say, you're either going to do our six-month Catholic (laughs) program to renounce your um, prostitution, or you're going to get arrested now and go on trial. Uh, what? Wait, think, what? What? Yeah, this is <laughs> yeah. a big deal right now, and it's, it's happening right now. And um, in Arizona, yeah. of course. Oh, do Arizona. any good things happen in Arizona <laughs> ever? 
Never. Turquoise jewelry? How is this constitutionally permissible? Cops it's not. abducting? The ACLU is all over. It's a big deal. And this woman, Monica Jones, she was she is a student at Arizona University, and she thinks she got particularly specifically targeted because she's been speaking out against Project Rose. Um, but also she got um, roped in, you know, cattle roped in to the church because she was arrested for um, manifesting prostitution, you know. Um, and she has what, been, what does that mean, manifesting prostitution? You look like a, you prostitute. Look like a prostitute. Yeah. And she's a trans woman of color. And um, she and it seems that many of the people who are being roped into this happen to be people of color, specifically trans women. And so she's been actually all over the news as her court date approaches it was scheduled for friday and now it's been pushed back to april i guess or? yeah because they're doing constitutional challenge she was on uh yeah chris haynes had her on the other day and uh, kind of what about. is her name again let's all go Google monica right jones now. monica jones and she is um uh her slogan for this has been um that i was arrested for walking while trans mm-hmm. um so for walking down the street and just being a hot trans woman being assumed that she was a sex worker and i think that a lot of there are definitely probably communities of trans women out there who are a little um upset about the sexualization of trans women in porn mm-hmm. and escorting and stuff because it makes it harder for them to break out of just not being sexual objects essentially you know? although I, I don't i don't i you know i think that they would be targeted because they are trans, regardless of oh, regard the, yeah, the sex work issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, I yeah, I so I see their point. Targeted, well, but, yes. but we want to be sex objects too. You know, Buck Angel does his whole sexing the trans man, mm-hmm. sort of uh, his films and and his whole mission is to restore to trans men their sexual agency and desirability. Mm-hmm. So it's a good thing to be sexualized when you wish to be. It's a good thing to be objectified at those moments when you want to be the object. And there are all in all of our lives those times that we want to be the object. Yes. Mm-hmm. You just don't want to be assumed to be the object no. just because of your gender. And or get arrested. Or pulled off the street by cops and given the choice between <laughs> becoming a priest or going to prison right. or whatever it is that the Catholics are laying on the table. This is making my head explode. How it's have I not awful. heard about this? Project Rose Monica Jones. Go do a Google search. Oh it's mind-blowing. It's Arizona at its finest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hi, um, my boyfriend, I've been dating him for about six months now. He's 10 years younger than me, and we're both pretty sexually, I guess, adventurous, or we're pretty open about our sexuality. But recently, I am a lot, I'm 10 years older than him, and I've got a lot more experience sexually than he does. He's only had a few, you know, three or four partners before me. And um, recently, I found out he had tried to call a escort service on Craigslist one night when he was upset with me and he claimed it was because he was upset about my experience and how my experience was so much more than his sexually and um, he just kind of considered it and he said he'd never actually do it but he thought about it that night when he was a little drunk and made that decision and it's been driving me crazy because I can't stop feeling like maybe I'm not enough for him or I'm not attractive enough for him or I'm not doing enough sexually for him. And um, it's actually caused me to start trying out more things sexually with him and trying to become more sexual. Um, We've been watching more stuff online and I've been buying more cute outfits and things like that. But I'm just wondering if this is something I should be concerned about, if I think that, you know, if there's a chance that he might end up 
wanting to follow through with that at some point, or if um, you think that that's a perfectly natural thing for a man that might be feeling a little insecure about his experience might do something like that. Thank you. This is a question for you, Dan. Is it a question for me? I think so. I mean, it was more like this is these are relationship behavioral issues and people responding to each other and feeling insecure and and sex work is sort of like a sideline. It is kind of a side issue yeah. here. Yeah. But it does seem a little crazy. Yeah, what's strange is this confusion between sort of his desire for more experience being some sort of lever that he can use to pry out of her sexier outfits and watching porn and that this is in created in her this insecurity uh i guess it's really it is more a question for me than for for the sex workers panel but yeah what if he had gone on okcupid instead of a escort site which he feels equally threatened but but but, but an issue maybe for you guys is that what of people who are in long-term relationships for whom sex workers loom is this sort of existential terror I can tell you if someone calls me and they sound drunk and angry, that's not going to happen. <laughs> really, no. Goodbye. Have you guys ever gotten contacted by an upset spouse or girlfriend? Once. No. Me too. Yeah, that was not good. How did that go? At the point in my career, it was very early, so I just denied, denied, denied. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't know, because I got really freaked out legally, like what were the ramifications of that were going to be for me in Boston. Um, so denied, denied, denied. It's deny. not like you were raping altar boys or something that they'll just ignore or sweep under the rug. I didn't even know who she was talking about. I don't think it's anybody I'd ever seen, but she just called and she's like, I found all these phone numbers and websites that my husband's been visiting, and he really seems to linger on yours and call your phone a lot. And I'm like, I don't think I've seen this guy, but, you know. Yeah, um, I, I had no idea who the guy even was. It was just some random girl saying, "Why is my you my boyfriend's called you?" I'm like, I don't know who your boyfriend is. I, uh, yeah, when it, but not, I mean, she just kept calling and calling and calling. I'm like, fuck, what do you want? We do one thing that I've had to deal with, um, just sort of like in my own mind and spirit, is um, you know knowing that somebody is seeing me against the knowledge of their partner. You know, happens a lot. You know, a, a lot of guys are not totally above board with whoever they're involved with that they're going to go and see an escort, a dom, or whoever. You know, or that they look at porn or anything. There's a lot of secrecy mm-hmm. in our relationships, and um, that wasn't ever really a, an issue for me until I developed a friendship with a client. This doesn't happen often, but a client actually became a true blue friend, and I became his personal trainer. <laughs> and um, and then I met his family, and I took photographs of his baby, and I met his wife, who is this wonderful person, and she doesn't know anything about how I, he and I actually met, you know. Um, and for the first time, I felt like, oh, I feel a little weird, you know. Like, I feel like I have this secret, you know, against you, and it kind of it kind of hurt, you know. Um, and... Um, I do get um, clients, patrons who I can tell that especially after they have that mind rocking orgasm, you know, then reality kind of sits in a little bit. And then they're um, especially in Boston where there's more guilt, <laughs> like Irish Catholic guilt Catholics. in general. Yeah, Catholics. Um, there would be a much heavy there, – there could be pretty heavy moments of like guilt or shame that they are doing something that they feel like they shouldn't be um, largely because of the marriage they are in or a relationship. Um and so what I've started doing is um, if I see that conflict or if somebody brings it up, because sometimes people used to call me when I used to accept phone calls. And they'd be like, is this cheating? And I'm like, does your partner know about it? And they're like, no. And I'm like, would they be upset? Yeah. Yeah, it's cheating. <laughs> you know, I, I think so. Um, and so I just advise them. I'm like, I don't know if this is realistic in your world, but talk to your partner <laughs> about your desires or your interests, you know, like 
try and foster a healthier relationship. Somehow. But you can't have a no cheaters rule and do what you do. Mm-hmm. It's no. on them. No, it's 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 you know it's kind of like. And cheating isn't always bad. I get no. in so much trouble because I often tell people to do that. That cheating is the least worst option. That if cheating makes it possible to stay sane and stay married and stay there for your kids and stay there for your partner mm-hmm. and be loyal in other hugely important ways than sexually, that sometimes it's better to get your needs met elsewhere if they're not being met and stay. And that's what I say as well. And the thing about seeing a sex worker is like, I'm not going to take your husband away from you. I don't want your husband. <laughs> I want you to keep him. And I just want him to come over for an hour to my house every now and then. Uh, and I will stay in my bubble. I will never threaten your life. I'm not going to say that everyone, you know, would be happy about knowing that I was in their husband's life, but that's that's what I can offer you is that I I stay in my zone. I don't I don't mess with your life, um, and yeah, and sometimes it may be the least bad option, and that's between you and your husband. But I think we do keep a lot of marriages together. Frankly, I've had so many clients tell me like, "Thank God for this outlet," because uh, just. Just this week, I had somebody say, I love and respect my life, and she's my partner, but we haven't had sex for a long time, and I'm a hot-blooded American male. And do I gotta, what you got to do to stay yeah. married and stay sane. And yeah. they're like, and, and he's like, and we're raising kids, and until the kids are grown up, I really don't want to separate with my wife, you know, because I want to keep that family unit together. And it's like, all right, well, good. I'm glad to help provide that outlet, <laughs> you know? It needs to be said that a lot of times sex workers are what make uh, protect marriages. They keep people together who might There's otherwise pull the plug. <laughs> sex workers for American families. For traditional marriage. Yes. <laughs> hey, Dan, I have a question for your sex worker podcast. Uh, a number of years ago, I went to see a sex worker and it was a wonderful experience. Uh, it was the birthday present to myself. I was traveling and it was just everything that I could have hoped it was really enjoyable and she was wonderful. Um, been dating a girl, she's wonderful too, our relationship is great, uh, but we're really open about everything and I have never told her about this. And I'm not sure if I should or shouldn't, I think it's an interesting experience that happened in my life and I would like to share it, I've never actually shared it with anyone, um, but I'm not sure if it's beyond the bounds of things that she cares to know that I've done in my past. So I was curious what you think the pros and cons are of being open about this. It's unclear to me if this man was with his partner at the time that he saw the sex worker. He saw sex workers before he got together with this partner. Is that something he should should disclose to his current partner? Probably not. I mean, you want to be upfront, but I unless unless you have some reason to think like she's a former sex worker herself, or uh, I would err on the side of probably not. Why? Um, I, she might feel threatened by it. Uh, a lot of women who are not really comfortable with the sex industry might tend to feel kind of threatened by it, like you're going to do it again in the future, or that you've had some, like a lot of sex, women who aren't sex workers will look at me and think, well, she is some mystical creature and I could never, and I'm like, I'm just a woman. I, I have, you know, a bag of tricks, if you will, but there's nothing like... You know, the rainbows do not actually shoot out of my vagina. But the, uh, if the, the stigma against sex work is so great. How do we bring that stigma down if no one is ever – if people can't come out about being clients, if people can't come out about having done it for fear of, uh, you know, if they get out of sex work, damaging their career prospects in other fields, if people can't tell their partners that previous to them getting together, they'd patronize a sex worker. How do we move through the stigma and shame if there's no coming out about it? I would – if I could talk to this caller, I would ask him – 
Uh, what would you get out of telling her? You know, is it just like a burden that you feel you got to get off your chest or is it something that you're generally interested in and you just want to share and have like a closer like, hey, fun fact about me, you know, like it's like what if what if the story was, oh, in college I had a, a gay encounter with a, a man, you know, like do you like do you want to tell your partner about that? Is that going to be threatening to them that they're going to like go and have sex with men, you know, or whatever? Um, it's like. We all have these experiences and these desires and we do these things. And yeah, I agree that, yeah, talking to them, especially with the people who are closest to us, especially if it's in the past, um, I think it's going to be very telling about your partner if they do have a hard time with it and freak out. You know, it's like, and that's good like, to know, and right? And they're likely to. Not a lot of women who are uh, not familiar with sex work, who haven't had friends who did sex work, just don't out of the gate mm. react well to I get these letters all the time. Found out my husband 20 years ago before we met, mm. saw a sex worker, and now he's just not the man I thought I married, and I can't respect him. And That's all the illusion of who you thought you married and not who you're actually with, I guess. It's like you, we all have stories and histories, and we can – we can we can date somebody based upon who they've been over the full spectrum of their life or who they actually are when you're but with them. But the bias them. is that sex work is so terrible and dehumanizing that someone who's patronized a sex worker has some, done something terrible and dehumanizing to a woman. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, I, and I also think it's like he's been sort of sullied by the experience. Either they kind of like in some physical sense, like, oh, he's probably got the, you know, the STI. I'm like, what, from 20 years ago? He's, but it's not a rational response. Uh, so yeah, that he has been sullied, or that he has shown himself to be yeah, to be someone who does this, this wrong thing, and yeah, I would I mean to his partner, I would say look at your partner as a whole and don't just go oh he did this thing I can never love him now, and also yeah all the freak out is based surely upon stigma. Um, and so that is a grander issue, you know, like why is it such a big deal to say that you saw a sex worker? last week or 20 years ago, whenever you did, you know, like, why is that such a big deal? Because of stigma. Um, and, not the, and there's no getting through or past or over or around that stigma. We can only without conversations. It. And the only way to shrink it is for people to come out about having done sex work or having patronized sex workers to show that not everybody who is a sex worker is a trafficked victim who is kidnapped and not everybody who's patronized a sex worker is some vicious monster who doesn't care about women or doesn't like women mm -hmm. leaving aside all the men who patronize male sex workers yeah it's going to be uncomfortable sometimes but i um one thing i love about the internet i was just talking to your colleague beforehand the internet has really just blown the top off of our sense of secrecy and our secret worlds and our dirty secrets you know it's like because it's so hard to hide what you're truly interested in because um People get outed all the time, left and right, and it would be nice if it was a little kinder of a process and not so much of a scandal. But I think that the edge is going to be taken off of scandal as more of them come to surface, you know, because it's like some – I'm thinking of the Duke porn student, for instance. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, oh my god, there's a gazillion girls like her out there, you know, like – and it's like I, all those girls who are reading this story, I wonder what they're thinking and feeling, you know, or anybody who knows those girls, you know, Um I think that the, the scandalability is going to get dumbed down a little bit as long as we keep talking about these things. And thank you again for having us on today. Oh, it was to my pleasure to have stuff. you on. Yeah. I was just surprised that you told them not to tell. Well, I mean, I suppose I'm being practical rather than political. Uh, as one, you know, one person to another, I would mm -hmm. say, yeah, you're probably right. You would probably have some issues about it. Uh, as a sex worker activist, yes, he should come out. And you know, I mean, 
so it's it's kind of a battle for 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 me. I suppose I could say to him that there are ways you could introduce the idea that sex work and sex workers is not this inherently awful thing by talking about news stories that we've we've mentioned and just generally kind of laying the groundwork for you know as long as everyone's consenting adults, it's probably really okay. And sort of hearing what she says about that and. Sort of rather than just like setting off this bomb and you don't mm-hmm. really know how it's going to blow. You have that conversation. You feel somebody out about an issue like that, like sex work in the news or the Duke mm-hmm. case. And you know, if you hear your partner say, I could never be with someone who would do – would patronize a sex worker and you're sitting there going, you are with someone who patronizes a sex worker. <laughs> right. Do you have an obligation in that moment? I think you have an obligation to think, what, what do, do I really want to be with someone who says that? Like, does that change my perspective of my partner, that they would just make this thing, and can I live with the secret? Uh, or do I want to set off this bomb? Or I mean, you, you, that's a really personal decision, and I'm not 100% comfortable saying you have to all the time, because you may be in a place in life where it's just really not the best and thing. Relationships aren't depositions, and you don't have to answer every question, and sometimes you have to edit and align. I yeah. kind of say, fuck it, be yourself, be honest, be true. Um, yeah, it might ruin your life. That's me out loud, proud sex worker saying that, but um, no, you've got me fired up, Dan, you know? It's like, <laughs> let's talk about this awkward stuff, you know? Um, so if you have the balls to do it, go for it. You might lose a girlfriend. Sorry. Um, there's probably a cooler girlfriend out there for you who gets it. Hi, Dan. I'm a gay guy in his mid-20s, and I've been a sex worker for about six months. I really appreciate how respectful and nuanced your conversations regarding sex work always are. I have a question about dating and sex work. I recently met a guy who I'm really into and definitely interested in dating, but we just met, so it's way too early to tell if that will happen. I've always anticipated it'd be easiest to automatically take a break from sex work if I were to ever start dating someone, and if things started getting serious, then disclosing before actually starting a relationship. But now that I've met somebody, I almost feel like it's not fair to even wait that long. The guy I'm interested in is younger and definitely less experienced than I am, so it almost seems unfair to present him with this. I can tell it would be really shocking and probably make him regret the fact that we had sex right away and were intimate. I really like being a sex worker, but I also want to remain open to dating and relationships in a thoughtful manner. Having it all seems very difficult. For the sake of any potential partners, should I just choose one or the other now and always disclose my history as a sex worker right away? Um, Beyond that, I don't feel the sort of anxiety about disclosing when it's obviously just a hookup because I feel like everyone in hookup culture assumes sluts are sluts anyway, but should I be thinking about sex, period, in the same way? So this disclosure thing, this is the issue. It comes up in seemingly a lot of different ways when it comes to a stigmatized profession like sex work. How do you handle dating when someone comes along you meet them at a coffee shop, in a bar, in in a non-professional context and you hit it off and you're going to go on a date and what do you say about what you do for work when the work conversation comes up? Yeah, that's a really sticky sticky situation for me at least. I don't know about how you feel about it, ladies. But uh, – and I, I – Gay men have often a different culture around um, sex, and the gay men are not the only ones who do. But uh, uh, I string it out, and I call it the four-date system. And I do not sleep with you before the fourth date. Uh, And so I kind of piece out the information one date at a time and see how you respond to it. Uh, And if you keep saying, okay, then I keep feeding you information until the fourth date, which is like, then you will know that I'm a kinky, polyamorous, bisexual sex worker. And if you're still on a date with me, I'm going to say, okay. And I have lost people after that. uh, And that's always painful. But uh, I try to 
string out the preliminaries as long as I can. And I find that when people have not had sex with you already, they tend to respond a little bit better. Is there a certain kind of person who's well-equipped to date a sex worker? Yeah. What kind of person is that? (laughs) Anybody out there who may, you know, in the course of their life, meet a sex worker, think about dating a sex worker. How do you know when you're the wrong person to date a sex worker? If you're really insecure, like if you have problems with insecurity in general. Jealousy? Jealousy. Yeah, jealousy and insecurity about, like, I had a partner once who was really insecure that these guys gave me these amazing gifts that he could not afford to give me. And I'm like, but that's not why I value you. I, you, have, you bring different things to me than they do. The fact that I've gotten the stuff, he's like, but I, I'm supposed to provide. Know, I'm like, that's really sort of sweet, but really wrong. Just don't do that. So, yeah, like, secure in, in ways, always. And you have to be willing to, when your partner says, I love you and I want to be with you, believe that. Is there a flip side of somebody who, you know, they're, they're, they're jealous or they have control issues or they're insecure? Can somebody be too into it? And can that creep you out? Um, I know a wonderful couple um, who um, he is sort of her agent. You know, he makes her arrangements for dates and he drives her and he really gets off on the idea of him like – her like doing her thing, you know. He's like, is he fetishizing her as yeah, a sex worker? Is yeah. he sort of like hot then, wifing, but a pro? Yeah, and they are a hot wife couple. That is their fetish. You know, they arrange, you know, gangbangs for her and stuff. You know, like, but he totally supports her. He helps make it safe for her, and he fetishizes it. And I think it's a really awesome thing they have going on. So. Um, he's really into it, but I think that's a healthy manifestation of but that. Every time you came home from to seeing a client, and your partner's like, "Tell me all the details." <laughs> <laughs> Is that not what you need to hear from a from a partner at the end of a day? That's a, yeah, it gets a little sticky. Yeah, um, I've I've experienced that with Trixie before. You know, where she wants to know everything that happened, I'd, and you know, I'll be exhausted after a, a session and just. You know, want to shut down and have dime, downtime, mm-hmm. and usually I'll say that, express that, and um, and later on, you know, I'll share when I feel comfortable with it. So, but what if they were perving on the details, Matisse? <laughs> um, you know, as like I, I, I used to have a partner who was also a top. And if I had a really amazing scene, like I would go home and go, I did this thing today where I got to, you know, I put needles in the thing and then I took the clamps and he'd be like, oh, wow, that's really cool. Did you use like this kind of needle or this kind of needle? So we would kind of talk about the... Talk shop. Yeah, just from a kind of a technical perspective. And I don't mind that. I mean, I don't mind talking about any of it. I guess it's just timing. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, you let me talk about it if I want to talk about it when I'm ready to talk about it. Sometimes you need to kind of like, okay, I did that and I need to... I'm sort of done and I just chill out. And But the romantic partner who gets off on what you do is less off-putting than the one who's insecure about what you do. Oh, yeah. Totally. I don't think I've ever had a partner who would really get off on what I did, but I'd probably fucking love it because I have a hard time holding back blabbing about work. I want to be like, honey, let me tell you about the amazing connection I had today with somebody or the weird kinky thing I did, you know, and so I have to restrain myself. So having a partner who is like chomping at the bit to hear about it might be pretty cool for me. So you're a little jealous of your friend with the partner who's setting it up for her and into it and sort of hot wife. I'm not jealous. Well, I've started hanging out with them a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But you appreciate their dynamic. I really do. I really love how they open they are with each other and just like, it's just, I think it's very cool. Um, one piece of advice that I do have for our friend and for anybody who's listening, and I guess this doesn't just apply to being a sex worker, but anything that you choose to be that you know is okay for you, is anybody telling you that um, 
this makes you undateable and no one's going to love you for it, you know, um, mm-hmm. which I have been told usually by partners who are angry in the moment and feeling insecure or jealous. They tell mm-hmm. me that you're going to be undateable and no one's going to ever want to have a long-term relationship or children with you, you know. And that's also something I've heard that um, from not my parents but other people's parents, you know. They're like they, they worry that their children are just never going to find a partner because they have this thing that's going to roadblock them from having a normal life, you know. And so I think that's a bunch of bullshit. And um, that's my one big piece of advice is to not be prepared for that because it can come out and to not let that crush you because it can sound really awful. Hello, Dan. I'm a sex worker of two years with two questions. The first is about living an authentic life. I love what I do. I feel fulfilled and empowered. And for the first time in my life, I'm deeply happy and grounded. I've always been a bit of a sex pot. And in retrospect, I think I was actually called to do this kind of work from a pretty young age. The whore was always my favorite character. I see what I do as loving and important in this world. I take precautions to keep myself safe as possible. As time passes, I enjoy this work more and more. I feel no personal shame about it. I do not want opportunities closed to me for what I do, and because of that, I try not to let too many people outside my inner circle know about this work. More importantly to me is to not let my parents know. Despite their liberal leanings and lifestyles, they would not be okay with their daughter doing this. I'm sure it would make my father sick, and I would never hear the end of the safety issue from my mother. I have a very tight family, though. I see a lot of them, and we're all interconnected in each other's lives. The only thing I don't like about this work and my life today is having to hide how I make my living. I hate lying about work or where I am. I hate dodging questions. I worry my outer circle friends, acquaintances, and family will only take my flimsy answers for so long. I want to tell people. I'm proud of what I do. I fantasize about sex work activism. I can't participate mainly because of this thing with my parents. I know Dan and Matisse will say your parents have a right not to know about your sex life. I get that. I also really hate the secret. My sibling knows, but their partner, who I love and they love me, would be totally freaked out by this. My loving partner is also proud of what I do. He says I remind him of Superman. He says when I ask if he minds if I work later in the evening, it's like Lois Lane having a problem with Superman staying out past dinner to save the world. How sweet is that? With so much support in my immediate home, it's hard and lonely to sit on this secret in my very close-knit family's homes. I'm hoping some of the other sex workers might be able to comment on being outed, how to handle it, and any advice in the event that I do get outed or just pull the plug myself. Any of your parents know what you do for a living? Yes. How'd that go over? Um, It had ripples of reaction. I told them over uh, Thanksgiving break, I was running a BDSM dungeon in Boston and it was just turning into 24 hour lying. You know, it's like, it wasn't just a one-off occasional thing. You know, it was like, I am running this facility and every time you call me, I'm probably there, (laughs) you know, doing something that I was lying about and I'm pretty bad at lying and I don't like it. Um, so I decided to tell them over Thanksgiving break, um, I was in school at the time and, um, my parents are really cool people. They're, they're liberal, they're artists. And so, you know, at face value they were like oh well that's interesting hmm okay what's your name oh savannah sly honey you could have done better than that (laughs) that was my mom's reaction and um but then um like two days later my mom called me up um really early in the morning kind of like in tears like you can't do this this is going to ruin your life this is a bad decision and she didn't know this at the time but i already been working for a few years you know um but you know 10 years down the road my parents know what i do i bring up oh work's been really good lately i'm really happy Things are really good. And they're like, okay, good to know. Oh, we saw a dominatrix on America's Got Talent the other day. That's cool. Um, Only issue for me, and this podcast is probably going to change this because this is a nationally syndicated podcast, um, is that my parents don't know that I've done things like escorted. You know, it's like I haven't told them the full extent. And I, I think my parents do have a right to not know all about my sex life. But I think that surprises 
are um, not fun when it comes to any of this. You know, it's not a fun surprise to find porn on your partner's computer. It's not a fun surprise to be outed when you're not expecting it. Um, my whole strategy with outing is to be um, out. You know, you can't scandal me if I have nothing to hide. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, this is like the final frontier for me is like just being like, hey, mom and dad, I'm doing this podcast just so you know, in my tenure career. Um, I've done a lot of stuff and you might hear some things, you know, I just don't, I want you to know that I'm happy and healthy and um, you know who I am, you know, and you know that I'm okay. So I hope you're not rocked by anything that you might hear, you know, in rural America where you live. You, well, know? you, can, you can tell your mom that if I ever start doing sex work, I'm going to take Charleston Chu as my, <laughs> my name and it'll be so much worse than Savannah Sly. <laughs> But your your stock will rise with your mother. Cool, thanks, Dan. Matisse, are you out to parents? Uh, my parents and I have a highly functional don't ask, don't tell relationship <laughs> that we have maintained for lo these many years. Uh, they know that I wrote a sex column, and I said, if you ever want to read it, I will give it to you. Understand that you may learn some things about me that you don't want to know. I never heard another word about it. So my parents have made it fairly clear to me. We know you're kind of doing something. Mm, we don't want to know. And I'm like, you know what? That's fine. There was a period I went through where I kind of wished I could be more honest. But I'm like, yeah, you know what? No, I'm just, they've made it clear they have a boundary. Uh, I, like, my mother would worry. I think my father, once he got past the worry thing, would kind of be like, hey, that's pretty smart, like, little girl. <laughs> and he would kind good of be Good for you for monetizing that. Uh, yeah, good for you, honey. Uh, uh, we're all an entrepreneurial family, so I could kind of spin it that way. But, but they were both they were both very loving parents, and they, you know, as Savannahs are too. But they would both fear for my safety, and it mm-hmm. would be really hard for me to convince them. No, 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 I'm I am physically very safe, uh, and so I just don't want to really deal with that. It's selfish of me, perhaps, but I'm really happy you're just talking about you know random whatever when I see my family. Uh, my brother knows, and he's like, yeah, okay, that's cool, and I don't really want to hear too much about it anymore. So we don't. Delia? Uh, I'm kind of in the same boat as Matisse. Um, My parents know that I work in the adult industry, and they don't really want to know any of the details of that. So... Don't ask, don't tell. We're not using it anymore for the gays in the military, so sex workers can have it. Any advice for this particular caller about her concern about being outed, about her family finding out, not getting in front of it, not telling her brother, not telling her parents, but it getting back to them? You know, the internet is the internet, and pictures circulate, and somebody, you know, two removes from your family or who knows you, a cousin might find you and maliciously send the link on, and that's something you need to think about in advance, is it not? Yeah, actually, if you, if you show your face and your photos, that is something you need to be prepared to, to deal with if it happens. Um, and it happens actually fairly rarely, considering the number of women I've known who are sex workers who show their face who have been outed to their family uh, by a random stranger. Usually it's like a, a mad ex-boyfriend is the, mm. is the thing you got to kind of watch out for with that. Uh, or my first experience, and I, I did have a pimp, you know, when I first started in a massage ring in Boston, and we ended up firing our pimp because we were all smart ladies, and we were like, we don't need this guy, and he actually was a quintessential pimp loser. So we all fired him and started our own thing, and he got really mad about that, and he decided to blackmail all of us because it turns out he had been digging through our purses while we were working, and he knew everything about us, and he had taken photos of us, so he actually started sending photographs of us to some of our parents. I, I did keep things secret until I started running that dungeon, you know, like, but my whole thing is, like, I don't want to be blackmailable you know it's like if you really don't have any secrets if you're out and proud it's like what can people do about that yeah i know that there's certain opportunities that are probably kind of closed to me but um the vice presidency 
Huh? The vice presidency is out of reach now. That is what I was vying for. You know, not according to Kevin Spacey. I think he's doing all right. (laughs) Yeah, there are prostitutes in in parliament in different countries, you know? It's like, I don't know. It's like... I I would like to see that happen. We need our first sex worker in Congress. Totally. I'm going to run. When I retire from my sex work career, I'm totally running for office. I want to help run your campaign. Yes. (laughs) I guarantee you the stranger's endorsement in advance. Let's end here with like one final thought. Jerry Springer asked, as Matisse said earlier, <laughs> just like something that you guys as sex workers want. Everybody out there listening who hasn't gone to a sex worker, isn't a sex worker, knows nothing about it, but has been steeped in the bullshit that floats around out there in the culture about sex work. Uh, something that they should know that you'd like to tell them right now. That the anti-sex trafficking uh, movement is gaining a lot of momentum in Seattle and in many, many major cities. And I think that the majority of good people in the world could agree that coercing somebody into sex for profit is a bad thing. We can all get behind that. But I want to remind people that the anti-sex trafficking movement is usually pretty conservatively um, propelled forward. And it's actually just anti-prostitution rhetoric going on. Not all of it, but a great deal of it. And to not buy into all that is presented um, from that p- specific contingency. We're all against minors being raped. We're all against that, <laughs> you know. Um, but but the, the attack on adults and adult sex workers making their own free choice and consenting mm-hmm. always comes wrapped in this Concern for children. A fear, fear tactic. Yeah, it, it really comes down to sexual rights, in my opinion, whether there's money involved or not. You know, so if you believe in sexual rights to do what you'd like with your body. Um, and to those who would argue that you doing what you do and being out and proud about it leads to other leads to children being trafficked and raped, that we can't let you be who you are and do what you do because it fear. makes the world less safe for. Show me some real evidence that proves that because I don't believe that. Uh, that anything that I've seen so far really proves that, you know, and I would argue the opposite, that having an open outlet for sexual desires and interests um, actually fosters better, stronger communities in a lot of ways, especially if it's handled openly and nicely um, and not in the shadows. I have a plan. I have, I have a regime that I just wish would be adopted. The good housekeeping seal of approval for sex workers, that the, the, like the TSA pre-vet, you can go through the quick line, that if there was an agent, even a government agency that screened, I know you're giving me the face, but screened and to, to allow something that like on a person's website that they have this credential that so that guys who don't want to see somebody trafficked have this reassurance and then come down like 10 tons of shit on anybody who paid who 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 goes outside that system looking for sex or looking for money. Well, now we're talking about legalization versus decriminalization. A lot of sex worker rights advocates are for a decriminalized environment because um, when you start um, regulating something as intimate as sex, you know, it gets a little sticky pretty quickly. Um, But What's the quickly for me and everybody else? What's the difference between decriminalization and legalization? Decriminalization means that um, it's not like an active policing um, effort to go out and arrest people engaged in prostitution, either clients or providers. Um, that's decriminalized, sort of like marijuana is getting decriminalized in a lot of places. You know, they're just not going after it, not going to get arrested for it. Um, legalized means that it is sanctioned. There's probably regulations. You might need a license of some sort. And uh, we saw both models in Australia, and this is like a much longer topic conversation. Um, but it's sort of like with marijuana right now, like how, how do we regulate this? How do we make it legal? Oh, this is hard, <laughs> you know? Um, and 
uh, there's a lot of people, myself included, who don't necessarily want to get a license for my pussy. I don't know. It just feels kind of like a little invasive. I'm apprehensive <laughs> around that. I kind of just want to do what I want to do safely and not get arrested for it. And where do you hang that license? Like the restaurant has to display the license. On your fupa, I guess. Prominently. Uh, as an individual, I am not 100% opposed to some kind of licensure as it were not onerous, it were not invasive, it was not punitive, it was not so expensive that there were only like corporate brothels if it was regulated in a manner similar to massage therapists or people who ran other kinds of home-based, service-based businesses. I am not 100% opposed to that. I understand that there has to be... You know, just because we're members of the community, and if you want to, like, you pay your taxes and you contribute to the community, well, there's usually some regulations about your business. So, in that context, I'm not 100% post to some licensure, uh, but I also do favor decriminalization because we have, there's a huge criminal thing that you have to take apart before you can start giving sanction to. So, a final thought, Matisse? Final thought is that. Um, yeah, the anti-trafficking methods and, and motions that you see now are kind of like the reefer madness of sex. Uh, the, the, if you remember that movie, it was like that if you take one puff off of, of a you know marijuana cigarette, that's it. You're going to be in the gutter forever, and it'll be and like no sex workers are really not like that. Sex workers are really not like that. There's a there are as many of us as there are people, and we are wildly diverse. There are people who sort of dabble in it occasionally. There are people like me who've made a lifetime career out of it. Uh, there are people who are happy. There are people who are not happy. And there are people who kind of are conflicted. There is not one type of sex worker, and you should approach each person as an individual and take them on their merits and listen to what they say rather than listening to all these other people telling you, here's what sex workers are like. Mm. Uh, so that's what I'd like to say. Gillian? I think these ladies have um, both summed it up very well. I'm just going to pass on that. Okay. <laughs> I don't um, have any real final thoughts, so thanks. And unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you want to record a question or comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. A huge thank you to all three of our panelists today, Mistress Matisse, Savannah Sly, and Delia DeLions. Follow me on Twitter at Fake Dan Savage. Follow me on Twitter at Savannah Sly. Follow me on Twitter at Mistress Matisse. Follow me on Twitter at Delia TS. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.